So right away, I want to point out to all of us two phrases from our passage that in a way sum up what we're about to see together this morning, and they're phrases that show us how our passage here is a little bit different than anything we've actually seen in Galatians thus far. And as for what they are, first, it's the phrase that the Bible says at the end of verse 2, quote, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And then second, it's the phrase that shows up at the beginning of verse 4, quote, you are severed from Christ. Christ will be of no advantage to you, and you are severed from Christ. And I want to point those out to begin, because on the one hand, our passage here this morning is similar to a lot of what we've seen in Galatians already. And that's because as you've probably heard in that scripture reading, here in this paragraph, once again, we have the Apostle Paul pleading with these Galatians, and God therefore pleading with all of us to not fall into typical religion or the world's way of thinking, which is that your salvation and your rescue comes from what you do. Instead, the appeal is once again to embrace the true gospel of Jesus. And quickly, you can see that for yourself, that Paul is appealing again like that with, for example, how he starts verse 2 with that look, I, Paul, say to you. And you can see in how he starts verse 3 with that, I testify again to every man. And so this is another appeal in God's word for each of us to believe and keep believing the true message about Jesus. And with that look, I, Paul, say to you, that starts our passage this morning, it's, it's almost as if God is now looking at us all in the eyes, right? bending down to us and getting on one knee like a father with his children and telling us to make eye contact. And he's telling us again, look, don't rely on what you do. Instead, embrace the gospel of Christ. And so that sort of appealing is happening again in our passage. And yet, that said, on the other hand, what does set this passage apart is what's in those two phrases. Christ will be of no advantage to you. You are severed from Christ. Because in those two phrases, you can see what's unique is that in them, Paul isn't just urging us to believe the one true message, but now he's actually focusing on Christ himself in his appeal. Meaning, he's now not just talking about believing the gospel message, but specifically in our paragraph this morning in the Bible, it's talking about how believing or not believing that message affects your and my relation to Christ himself. And I know at first that might not seem like a big distinction, but I think seeing that is really helpful for all of us. Because let's be honest, right? So often... Even for us as Christians, we can think of Christianity primarily as a message or primarily as truths to believe. Right? In one sense, that's okay because Christianity is true and it is a message about the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners like us in history. But that said, I hope we all know that above all, we're not mainly people who just believe a message Neither has this book of Galatians mainly just been about believing the right gospel. That's true, but instead of just that, Christianity is mainly, above all, about trusting a person, Jesus. And it's Jesus who we know through the gospel message, yes, but we're not mainly people who just believe a message. 
who just believe truths. Instead, at the heart of Christianity is relying on and relating to Jesus himself. And so the point is, in a a way, it's that then that takes center stage here in our paragraph this morning. Because for all of us, the reality is, Jesus Christ is alive. He is real. He's the God-man, the creator, the savior. He's the king. And he is loving and gracious. And so for all of us in his gospel message, it's not just that we can be saved or it's not just that we can have more peace or it's not just that we can be delivered from our sins, although all of those are true. Instead, above all, in the gospel message, it's that Christ himself, the real living God and person of Jesus Christ, he's there and he can be of advantage to you or not. Or as Paul says in verse 4, you and I can be connected to him or not and severed from him. That's really what's at stake in the gospel message and that's really what's at stake in our paragraph here this morning. Which then brings us to an outline of how we will go through this paragraph together. So in a nutshell, that's what we're going to see. But then to break down what else God has to say to us through Paul here, We're going to have three sections together this morning, three sections asking three different questions. And we'll ask all of them with this idea of us in relationship to Christ in mind. So so three questions, but for the sake of time, we'll actually just reveal each question as we go. But all that said, church, let's then begin our first section and first question together. And for this, we're going to be in verses two through four. And to understand what the Bible is going to say to us here, the question we'll be asking is, so what happens with us in relation to Christ himself if we rely on ourselves instead of relying on him? Meaning, so we exist and Christ exists, but what happens with us in our relation to him if we essentially don't trust him but instead decide to trust in ourselves? And to answer that, we'll see Paul say something in each verse, in verses 2, 3, and 4. And so what we'll do now is we're going to take those verses one at a time, and as we do so, we'll see what happens if we rely on ourselves instead of the person of Jesus Christ. So let's begin with just verse 2. So look down your Bibles if you can, Galatians 5, 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So so as we talked about, Paul begins with that look, I, Paul, say to you, and and just so you know, that's supposed to read pretty emphatic, and that's because that word look there is the same word that we often translate in our Bibles as behold. And then on top of that, Paul has an emphatic I here in the original language. And so this verse should read, behold, I, meaning I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I say to you, And what does Paul then say to them and to us? Well, the Bible says, if you accept circumcision, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. And quickly, just so we all know, what Paul meant here by accept circumcision in this context was accepting circumcision in such a way where it represented that you now thought that you needed to obey the Old Testament laws in in addition to trusting Jesus in order to be saved. Accepting circumcision meant that you thought that doing that was necessary in addition to accepting Jesus. And that's important for you and I to know because this means that it wasn't circumcision itself that therefore was the issue. 
Right? We know this because, for example, Paul himself was circumcised. Instead, the issue was that people were accepting circumcision because they were starting to believe that, sure, I, I need to accept Jesus, but then I also need to do certain things, like become a ceremonial Jew in order to be okay and right with God. And verse 2 here then means for us that although we may not be tempted to accept circumcision and obey the whole Old Testament law like they were back then, still this verse applies to us whenever we or someone else teaches or believes in a similar way, of course, right? You need to believe Jesus, but then you also, in order to be okay with God, need to do certain things, right? Like go to church enough or give enough or be good enough, or be loving enough, or feel sorry enough, or anything else like that. Because that's adding to the gospel in the same way that this accepting circumcision was doing. But back to the verse, though, most important, what happens if we do that? Well, Christ then, quote, will be of no advantage to you. And that's a, that's a serious statement. Because it means if, if you or I go and think that we need to add to Christ's work, right, to do our part in order to be saved, if we essentially go and rely on what we do like that, then Christ will no longer be an advantage to us. He won't be our Savior. Because the point is, in God's word, the risen, loving Jesus Christ can either be your savior 100%, or you can be saved totally by what he did, or you can turn from him alone and go and rely on yourself and try to add your own efforts and works. Those, those are the only two options. Which leads us to the next verse. And here, Paul will sort of explain why relying on ourselves and adding to the gospel like that doesn't work. So look down at verse 3 now. The Bible continues, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So now this verse is similar to what Paul has actually said a few times in Galatians already. Because here, what Paul is testifying to them about which, by the way, that word testimony there was a word back then that they used to talk about a solemn testimony. And so Paul is testifying solemnly about something that's true. But, but that said, what Paul is testifying to them about is if they want to rely on what they do and how good they obey, then they need to obey perfectly. They need to then keep the whole law. And, and boiling that down, the reason that doesn't work Right? It's because if they or we want to go to God based at all on what we do, then, then we need to be perfect because God is perfect. But as we know, none of us can be perfect, which is why we can't rely on what we do. Which finally leads to the last verse of this first section. And here is where Paul's going to get the clearest and the boldest and answering our first question about what happens to us in relation to Christ if we rely on ourselves. So look down at verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So as you can see here, the Bible is 
really direct. Because now Paul is clear what's at stake. It's being justified, which just means being righteousness, being right with the living God and all the benefits now and forever that come with that. That's what's at stake. But what were they doing back then? Well, as Paul says, they were trying to be justified by the law, which meant that they were trying to have part of their being right and okay with God based on how well they obeyed. Right? And so the same applies to you and I if we try to earn or merit any part of our being okay with God based on what we do. But most important in this verse, what does the Bible then say happens if that's the case? What are the consequences of wanting what we do to be part of us being justified and right with the living God? Well, the Bible solemnly but clearly says, if you or I are trying to relate to God and be right with him like that, quote, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And really, that's about as serious and important as the Bible can get. Because first, as for those words, you are severed from Christ, that brings us back to what we talked about as we began our message. Because once again, the reality is Jesus Christ is alive. He is real. He is willing and able and glad to be an advantage to sinners like you and me. He's willing to take our sins. He's ready to be on our side. He's eager to guarantee that we are okay and loved and cared for now and forever. But, If we turn from him alone and go and rely on our efforts for all of that, if if we say, sure, Jesus, that's great, but now I need to do good things to add to that, if we do that, the Bible is saying we're severed from him. And the same is true for that phrase, you have fallen away from grace. Now, first, we might hear that, and we might think that the Bible's teaching here that you can lose your salvation, but that is not the case. Because in the Bible, it is clear, once you genuinely know God and are justified and are right with him, God will persevere you in your faith. He will hold you fast, as we just sang. So that's not the point here. Instead, the words, you have fallen away from grace, are essentially Paul just saying, you are severed from Christ, but in a different way. Because the reality is, again, Christ is real. He is alive, and he's the God of grace. And this is the gospel all about grace. And remember, grace is simply God treating us better than we could ever deserve. It's him treating us not with what we're due. That would be terrible. But instead, it's him loving us and saving us and treating us better than we could ever deserve because of what Jesus did. And so, church, that is our God of grace, and that is the gospel of grace. And that being the case, what then happens though if we rely on ourselves and what we do instead of God and his grace? Well, we fall away from grace. We can be severed from Christ and we can fall away from grace all because we want to rely on ourselves and we want to do and add what we do and add to the gospel. And so that's verses two through four. I know it's heavy, but that's our first section together. And that's then the answer to our first question. What happens to us in relation to Christ if we rely on ourselves for our salvation? And the takeaway for all of us then is pretty simple, isn't it? Because if that's true, which it is, it's in God's word, then the application for you and me is pretty simple. It's therefore don't go back to relying on what you do. 
Right? Don't think that you need to add to what Jesus has already done to be okay with God. And now let's be honest, though. This truth is, as we've talked about so many times in Galatians, all of us still are tempted to do that. Right? We're all tempted to define our lives, to find our hope and comfort and security and rescue, and to even define our relationships with God based on what we do. Right? That is typical religion, and that is the typical way of the world, but that is not Christianity. That's not the way we come to know and have a relationship with Christ himself. And so again, the warning is, if we ultimately do that, if we in our lives rely on ourselves and what we do, and we're no longer people who trust in Jesus alone in the gospel, then God's word said, you're severed from Christ, fallen away from grace, and Christ is of no advantage to you. Which fittingly then leads us to our second section. And for this now, we're going to be in just verse 5, just verse 5. And now here, we're going to follow up that first pretty heavy question by asking, so if that's true though, what in contrast does being connected to Christ actually look like? Meaning, so we just saw what it was like to be severed from Christ, but now what does being connected to Christ look like? And to answer that, we're going to be in verse 5. Verse 5, so look down your Bibles, Galatians 5, 5. For... Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So first, as you can see, this verse starts with the word for or because. And, and verse, coming, verse 6, which is coming up, is going to do the same. And the reason for that is because in verses 5 and 6 here, if you want to think about it this way, Paul's continuing his thought by saying, so if you rely on yourself, you're severed from Christ because... And the first thing he says here in verse 5 is basically, you're severed from Christ because for we as Christians don't ultimately rely on ourselves. Instead, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That's who we are as we're connected to Christ. And although that might sound a little bit confusing at first, this verse actually, in a way, is a very helpful summary of true Christ-connected Christianity. And in fact, one commentary I read this week said this about this verse, quote, there is no more important sentence in this whole letter of Galatians. Each term and construction of the sentence is significant, end quote. And I, th and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Because here, although it may sound confusing at first, as you can see, the Bible here essentially says three things, three things about what being connected to Christ looks like. Right? And two of them have already come up a lot in Galatians, but then the third thing is something that hasn't come up a lot yet, but it's really applicable to all of us. So three things, and taking them one at a time, remember, we're asking, what are we like if we are connected to Christ? And so first, as you can see, we're those who live, quote, through the Spirit. Right? And this, in Galatians, has already come up a few times. It's important because being people through the Spirit has come up primarily in contrast of, with being those of the flesh. And so the point is, as Christians connected to Christ, we're people not ultimately reliant on our own willpower and our own efforts of the flesh. Instead, we live and act through the Spirit through God himself, really the third person of the Trinity being in us and with us and enabling us. So you see the second thing there. And that's how through the Spirit were those who live, quote, by faith. 
And now in this, as, as we know, if you've been with us for some time, this has basically been the main argument and idea of Galatians. Because faith in Galatians, and really in the whole Testament, is often contrasted with our own works. And so the idea here is, as those connected to Christ, we're those who through the Spirit trust Jesus. We're saved by that trust, and we live by that trust. That's what it means to be a Christ follower, a Christian. Which finally leads, though, to the third and last thing in verse 5. And if we just had those two things, that would be a summary of a lot of Galatians thus far. Because even think about this paragraph as a whole so far. We've seen section one, right? Don't trust in yourself and on your your own obedience. Instead, section two, through the Spirit, trust in Christ. That's really a summary of the gospel and of all of Galatians in a nutshell. But then, what makes verse five here really so interesting is that that actually isn't all or even mainly what Paul's saying in this verse. Because as you can see, technically here, Paul is saying that we're not just spirit-enabled people who trust Jesus. That's true. But really, this sentence is saying that through the Spirit, by faith, we're trusting Jesus for something. And, and what is it? Well, look again at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And so that's the third thing of what being connected to Christ looks like. We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And although that may sound confusing at first, right, especially with that phrase, the hope of righteousness, I think we can all get the main drift of what the Bible's saying. Because in brief, it's saying that through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, by trusting Jesus, we're eagerly waiting for something. Right? And that's interesting in itself because so often, if we were to finish the sentence through the Spirit, by faith, we'd immediately jump to through the Spirit, by faith, we do for Jesus. We obey for Jesus. We evangelize for Jesus. And in a way, all of those are true. But notice, that is not what God's Word says here. It says through the Spirit, by faith, what do we do? Well, we eagerly wait And then, as for what we're eagerly waiting for, it's, quote, the hope of righteousness. And as for what that means, remember, the biblical word hope doesn't mean some unsure thing like it can mean in English, like I hope I have a good week. Rather, the word hope in the Bible is basically faith in the future, right? It's trusting God for something he has promised in the future. And so what are we trusting God for? The future righteousness that is to come. And although that word righteousness is big and again, perhaps confusing and basic, Paul here most likely is just talking about the day that Jesus comes back. And we know that because when Jesus does come back, brothers and sisters, he'll declare once and for all that his people are righteous, right with God. And then he will make the whole universe good and beautiful and righteous again. And finally, as then his people, we will live here on this earth in righteousness with him and with one another forever. That's our hope of righteousness. And the point of this verse then is, as those connected to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit by faith, that's a big part of what we're about. We're not people primarily about what we do, even what we do for Jesus. Instead, we're those who through the Spirit, by faith, are eagerly waiting for this hope of righteousness. 
And as for us then, just taking a minute before we then do move on to our third section, thinking then about what this verse is actually saying, I think many of us would probably agree that even as Christians, this is something we probably don't emphasize or talk about the way we should. Because let's be honest, when when we think about our Christianity, for so many of us, we primarily think about it as, yes, being saved, and then, yes, living as Christians in the here and now, and then, yes, going to heaven when we die. But the more and more I read the Bible, and probably for you as well as you're reading it, the more I see that this future cosmic hope really was and is a huge aspect of biblical Christianity. And by hope, it's simply this idea that this isn't it. It's this idea that for us and for the whole universe, there's something way bigger and way better coming when Jesus comes back here and makes everything right again. And we, we as Christians, in a way, are just mainly waiting for that. And, and that's convicting probably to most of us. Because again, for most of us, we just don't think that way very much. Right, especially as Westerners and Americans, we're just so comfortable. And so we're so focused on the here and now, even in our Christian lives and often in our churches. But, but I hope you see from God's word that being like that, we're missing this huge concept of biblical hope. Because that's what we see here in verse 5. It's true, biblical, apostolic, eager, early Christian, cosmic Hope. And so the point of verse 5 really is that's who we are in contrast to being people who rely on what we do. Through the Spirit, we trust Jesus. And that means we trust Him for our salvations. It means we trust Him now as we live our lives, but also it means that we trust Him as we wait for Him to come back and make us and make the whole universe beautiful and righteous again. That's our promised hope. Which finally then brings us to our third and last section. This is our final question. For this, we're just going to be in that verse 6. And now here, we're going to finish our paragraph by asking, but what then about our lives now? Right? And we ask this because think about it. So far, our first section was about not relying on what you do and instead relying on Christ. And then the second section was really about through the Spirit, by faith, we are waiting for Jesus to come back. And so somebody could hear all that and you could imagine them critiquing and saying, but, but what then about the here and now? Right? What does Jesus want for his people now? What does he do through his people now? And it's that then that Paul's going to talk about in verse 6. So all that said, look down now at verse 6. And and as we read this, notice the brilliant way and beautiful way that Paul ends the paragraph. Look down in your Bibles, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So notice, to begin this verse, it's for in Christ Jesus. And this shows us, this is about, as we've been saying, being connected to Jesus, being in Christ Jesus in a relationship with him. But what then is true for those in Christ Jesus? Well, first, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And that, in a way, is just a summary of what we've seen in the gospel because Paul is saying it's not about you obeying certain rules. That doesn't count for anything. 
Instead, what is it about? What does count in Christ Jesus? Quote, only faith working through love. <laughs> and to be honest, that is brilliant in how Paul says this. <laughs> and, and this is the reason why I love studying the Bible, why I hope you love studying the Bible. Because notice what Paul actually says here. And this is so important for us. So what counts instead of relying on ourselves? Well, technically, in what Paul says, there's one main thing, and that's, quote, only faith. And now that makes sense because that's what we've seen over and over in Galatians. In the gospel, it's not about us and our works and our goodness or our love. Rather, it's about faith, meaning our salvation and our Christian lives are about trusting Jesus, full stop. That's why we are saved by faith and why the Bible says we live by faith. And so only faith. But then, after that, Paul does something quite amazing. So Paul says it isn't about our works. It's about only faith. It's about trusting Jesus. But then, guess what? And this is Christianity in a nutshell. Guess what? That faith then that we have in Jesus then does something. Because that's what the Bible says. What counts is only faith working through love. And just so you know, that's a really good and accurate translation. Because importantly, it is that word faith there that's actually the subject of this phrase. It is the faith that's working here. And that's important because think about the argument in Galatians. If it was mainly us, and mainly us doing, and mainly us loving, perhaps someone could critique Paul and say, see, it is about what we do. It's about how well we love. But Paul is clever and clear. What we do, above all, is we keep on trusting and trusting Jesus' faith. But then amazingly, what does that faith, what does that trusting and being connected to Jesus do and work in us? Well, our faith works and produces Love. Isn't that amazing? And that's really then what the Christian life is like. Love is very important in the Bible and in our world. And in a sense, it is our main calling as Christians in the here and now and really forever to love God and to love people. But importantly, we are not saved by love. We are saved by faith, by trusting Jesus. And the Bible even say we live by faith. And yet the reason Jesus himself can say things like our main calling is to love God and to love people is because of this. It's because technically the Christian life isn't about doing enough or loving enough to be saved. That is not the gospel. And that, by the way, is why we got to be really careful when we talk to others about Christianity. Because you might hear somebody ask you, what's Christianity all about? And sometimes it has become really popular just to respond with Christianity is about love. But, but I hope you see, if we answer like that, people can start to think that it's about how well we love. And if that's the case, then who then basically gets skipped over? Jesus. Because that, that, Christianity isn't just about love, it is, but if we say that, then we're focusing less on Jesus, and there's not much of a need to trust in Jesus, except maybe as just our example of love. And so that's not technically Christianity, it's rather specifically Christianity is primarily about the person of Jesus and his gospel. It's primarily about Jesus and what he has done and us trusting him, right? And so for us, it's about, as our verse says, only faith. But then, again, 
in Jesus' plan as we trust him, as we are now connected to the God of love, what happens? Our faith in Christ starts to flow out in love. Love to God and love to people, as I think both of those are included there in verse 6. And that then is the answer to our question, what about the here and now? Because again, someone could say that since apparently Christianity is so much not about us and so much about Jesus, and since it's about us just trusting him and waiting for him to come back, then this sounds like it's of no earthly good. But that is not the case, and history proves that. And that's because in Jesus' plan and in the way the Holy Spirit himself works in us, the more and more we really trust Jesus, and the more and more we're people who in hope are looking forward to Jesus' coming back, then amazingly, the more and more he enables us to be people who freely love. Our faith in Christ works through love. And so that's our passage, church. We've seen once again, God basically look at us in the eyes and appeal to us in yet another way in this letter to not rely on our works and instead to embrace the gospel of Jesus alone. And specifically this morning, we've seen that happen where the Bible talking about how we should do that and eagerly wait for him to come back. And finally, we saw that as we trust Jesus, our faith works through love, which leads us now to come to a close. And as we close, I just want to point out one last thing about our paragraph right here, one last thing. And this is something we haven't put together yet, but it's something that I think is really helpful for all of us as Christians. And it's something that if you're here, and you're perhaps still not a Christian or you're just interested in what we really believe, I think this can really help you as well. And that's how maybe you noticed in this paragraph, Paul, in explaining what true Christianity actually looks like, he brings up the three what have been called theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And he even does so in that order. Because notice in verse 5, when talking about what Christianity looks like, first he says, through the Spirit, by faith. And then right after that, in the same sentence, he says, by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And so we have faith and we have hope. And finally, in verse 6, with faith and hope set, Paul talks about how all of that works through love. It's faith, hope, and love. And, and as we close, I think that's helpful for us to see because first, for all of us as Christians, Perhaps you've heard that triad before, faith, hope, and love, but you've never really thought about it. But, but I encourage you, after everything we saw, to really think about how those three words really do summarize the, the Christian gospel and our Christian lives and what Jesus wants for us. Because when all is boiled down, Christianity is mainly about, number one, trusting Jesus. It's about faith. And number two, it's about hoping in Jesus, especially looking forward to the day he comes back. And then finally, number three, Christianity is about that faith and that hope working in us and making us people of more Christ-like love. So for Christians, that's our lives. Faith, hope, love. But not only that, but also for anyone here who isn't a Christian, I hope just hearing those three things, you realize how much this makes sense and how beautiful Christianity really is. Because look around, in our world, we're all longing for faith, hope, and love. Because first, we're all longing for security, for something or someone in our lives that we can really rely on and trust in. That's faith. And then second, we all want hope. Meaning we all want something better than this, futures that are better than this world can give us. And finally, we all love love. 
And so again, faith, hope, and love dominate what we're all longing for. And very simply, that's because that's what true Christianity, that's what reality is. We weren't made to find our identities and find our hopes in what we do and be all about our own lives and what we can accomplish and achieve. Instead, we were made for faith, hope, and love. And specifically, we were made to have faith in Jesus, to hope in Jesus. And we were made to be loved by Jesus and then for Jesus' love for us to flow out and love to others. And so again, that's our passage, church. That's really Christianity and that's Jesus and what he offers all of us. And so one last time this morning, I just appeal to you from God's word after everything we saw together that you don't turn from all that and go back to living for and just relying on what you do. Because remember, that's not the message of the gospel. That's not what's good for us and that won't produce lasting faith, hope, and love. And so instead, let's be people primarily about Jesus. Let's rely on him, focus on him, be thankful for him, worship him, know that we're connected to him. And in doing so, through his grace, we will then become people of more faith, hope, and love.